The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, that it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is, pro- is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Good, good to see you guys. Great to have you here today. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. If you're a guest, it's great to have you with us. And it's our prayer today that um, when you leave here, you'll love Jesus more than you did when you came in here. That's truly our desire for you today, uh, that through the singing, through the confession, through the scripture we read, through the sermon, um, and then through the love of us to each other and our welcoming of you as well, that you would uh, love Jesus more when you leave. So thank you for being with us today. We'd love to meet you afterwards at the Connect table, which is in the back of the room by the door, and say hi and get to know your story and talk with you there. If you're a covenant member, welcome. We love doing life with you. We love uh, serving our community with you. We love worshiping with you. We love being in community with you. So thank you for being here and being a part of this. If you've been visiting us for a while and you're kind of interested in covenant membership here, interested in becoming a member at Emmaus, uh, we'd love to invite you to a luncheon, which is coming up on October the 12th. Um, and uh, and so that, or excuse me, October the 9th. The 12th is a Wednesday, so that won't work. The 9th is a Sunday right after service. And so plan that day. You can register online. We need you to register so we know how many people to to prepare for. But come, stick around. We'll provide lunch. And we'd just like to take two hours to tell you what it means to be a member, who we are as a church, where we're going, let you meet our pastors, get to know us, ask us questions, that type of thing. And then if you're interested in going beyond that for covenant membership, we'll have a membership class coming up uh, two weeks after that. And so we'd love to invite you um, to join us for that. You can register online. Also, if you're interested in hosting or leading a community group, or if you already are hosting or leading a community group, um, we'd invite you um, and ask you to come to a training with us on October the 23rd after the service, uh, and uh, it will be, uh, we'll provide lunch for that as well, and we're going to just walk through everything that you need to know about hosting and leading community groups, what the purpose of them are, what your expectations are, how to have a win, um, those types of things, so that you know this is what I'm getting myself into, this is what it looks like, this is what community at Emmaus looks like the purpose and how do I better love and serve the church through community groups and so um, you can sign up for those online as well Um, or talk to Brandon or Ronnie today and then if you're a child um, and uh, remember that today you can take notes you can bring them forward to Tabitha or Jake after the service they'll give you a prize I've got apparently two tubs of prizes underneath here these are either for you or for me every time I get an amen 
all right? And so the, the one that's candy, I think I'll just eat a piece every time I get an amen, and then uh, the rest of you guys can have. Or there's these really cool, like, little paratrooper things in there, and I think anytime I need an amen, I'm going to chunk one of those out there and just let it float down, and whoever catches it has to say amen. So I think that might be how we do that today. But so if you're a kid, take notes, amen. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, that was a joke, by the way. I'm not going to eat candy today. <laughs> Afterwards, it'll all be gone. That'll be awesome. So someone keep a tab for me. Hey, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the text. We've got a lot to do today, all right? Jesus, I, um, I thank you for your grace to us, and I thank you for saving us, and I thank you for calling us and bringing us to this place today where we as a people, we as followers of Jesus, we as those who have been saved by, by your grace and nothing but your grace can gather together to sing of your goodness, to, to confess our sins, to look into our hearts, to find idols and sinfulness and brokenness and sickness within us, to lay those at your feet, to thank you for already forgiving us of those, and then to walk away knowing our forgiveness, knowing our acceptance, and with a renewed zeal and passion for loving you. May this time today be that for your children who are in this room who are at the church. For those in the room who are not that, for those in the room who don't know Jesus, they've never hoped in Jesus or trusted in Jesus, perhaps they've been apathetic to that and couldn't care less about Jesus, perhaps they don't even know what sin is or that they are a sinner or that they need saving, Perhaps they know that all too well, but they're attempting to clean themselves up and fix themselves on their own. Would you save them today? Through your kindness and through your grace and through the working of the Spirit, would you call their hearts to hope and trust in you? And may they walk out of here today being believers and receivers of the grace of Jesus because of the cross. Father, would you speak to us through your word today? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going through the book of Philippians. We are week three through this series, um, just journeying from beginning to end of it, which is what we like to do here at Emmaus. The reason we chose this, Ronnie shared this with you last week, the reason we chose this book at this time for us as a church is this. With all of our strengths, with all of our successes, with all of the wonderful things that God is doing here and the way that we love each other and the community that we have and the, the biblical um, theology that we hold to and our, our love of each other and our love of the world, what we believe Emmaus is really wrestling and struggling with right now is evangelism. We believe that we as a church are a church overall um, that, that wrestles with boldness of actually declaring the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Part of that could be that it's a generational thing, a millennial generation which comprises most of our church that embraces strongly the displaying of the gospel, the living out of it, but shies back from the declaring. Part of it's timidity, fear, insecurity. Some of it could just be apathy. But we believe that Emmaus has a lot of room to grow in this. And by Emmaus, we mean all of us who call ourselves Emmaus individually and us 
corporately, beginning with your elders, with your pastors. So we want to journey through a book in the New Testament that we believe more than any other book shoves us out there with the gospel. That tells us you must share the gospel, be a part of sharing the gospel. And if you will be a part of sharing the gospel, you will actually find joy in your salvation. Or that as a Christian, your joy in your salvation is greatly wrapped up in your declaring of the gospel. And you're evangelizing, you're sharing of the gospel with others. And so we want to look at that over the course of this semester. So we're in week three right now. Let me give you just a brief review of the background of where we're at and what's going on to bring you up to point. In the book of Philippians, you've got the Apostle Paul who's writing to the church in Philippi. And he's writing to them from a prison, we believe, in Rome. Approximately 10 years after the time that he first came into Philippi. If you remember back two weeks ago in Acts chapter 16, we see the story that Paul wanted to go to Asia and tell them about Jesus, to evangelize them, to to, to declare the gospel there, and God shut the door so that he couldn't. And so he decided he wanted to go to Bithynia and do that, but God shut the door so that he couldn't. God didn't shut the door to those locations because God didn't care about those people or didn't want the gospel to be shared, but God shut the door to those locations because at that time, in that history of the world, at that moment, God had planned for Paul to go to Philippi to share the gospel with Philippi because God had hearts in Philippi ready to receive the gospel. So God gives Paul a vision of a man in Macedonia, the region that Philippi is in, and the man in this vision saying, come help us. So the next day, Paul wakes up, gathers his crew, and he heads to Macedonia, and they find themselves in Philippi. They go into this city of Philippi, a city of veterans, of Roman veterans, of soldiers who have retired, a Roman colony. They go in, and there's no synagogue, there's no Jewish believers, but there's a group of women who are worshipers of God, though they know not yet about Jesus. So Paul finds their prayer gathering women's prayer gathering outside the gates and he goes to it and he proclaims Jesus to these women and God had been working on the heart of a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple fabric a high fashion designer and seller and it says that God opened her mind to hear the teachings of Paul and receive the truth of the gospel So Lydia becomes a believer and she opens up her home and we find the church in Philippi beginning in her house. Paul continues preaching and going around and and evangelizing and sharing the gospel and this demon-possessed girl who had the ability to project the future starts following him around going, he's talking about God, the way to salvation. He's talking about God, the way to salvation. We don't understand fully what she was doing or why she was doing it. It's believed she was mocking him. One day, out of frustration, because this has gone on day after day after day, Paul just turns around out of frustration and annoyance and goes, in the name of Jesus, demon, get out of her. The demon leaves. Well, now this freed girl, by the power of Jesus, no longer has this gifting of the demons within her to be able to tell the future. So her owners become very frustrated with Paul. So they drag Paul into civil court, and there in civil court, Paul and his crew are stripped naked, beaten many times, it says, 
and then imprisoned. They're imprisoned, shackled together. They're not griping. They're not complaining. His crew's like not going, Paul, there you go again. You blew it. You just keep your cool, quit casting out demons out of anger. Everything would be okay. They're not griping at God for finding themselves in prison. They're not bribing the jailer to let them out. They're not trying to convince anyone they're falsely arrested. They just start praying and singing praises to God. And it tells us that all of the prisoners began to listen. And then God, because God had a very intentional plan of them being in prison, sends an earthquake which shakes the foundation of the prisons, knocks the doors off the cells, breaks the shackles off their hands, and the guard who's over them draws his sword to kill himself, knowing the prisoners have escaped The soldiers, the Romans, will kill me, and it will be worse than me killing myself, and he's about to kill himself. And Paul cries out, don't do it. We're here. We are all still here. So the jailer falls at Paul's feet and says, tell me how to be saved. If you're still here when you could have ran, after the things I've heard you pray and the things I've heard you sing, There must be some truth and weightiness to what you have said and sung and prayed. And so tell me how to be saved. So Paul tells him and then his entire household. And they all believe and they're all baptized. And the church at Philippi is started. Some 10 years later, Paul finds himself in prison again. This time in Rome. He's been visited by a friend of his from Philippi. Pythroditus has come and he has shared with him about the church and what's going on. And he has brought questions to him and they've interacted. And now Paul's writing a letter back to the church, answering those questions, some of which are very personal of how are you? How are you doing? How are you holding up in prison? How's your heart? How's your your health? How's your soul? That type of question that people would be concerned about. And Paul writes back to answer these, among other things. So last week, Pastor Ronnie began the letter for us. And in this letter, Paul begins his welcome, his greeting. And in his greeting, he says this, My heart is overjoyed at every thought and prayer for you. I'm constantly thankful for you because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until this day, you have faithfully partnered with me in the gospel. In the declaring of, the evangelizing with, the gospel, you have partnered with me, and my heart is thankful, and my heart is overflowing with joy because of that. And he says, and I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, the work of the partnership of the gospel, will be faithful to finish that work. The gospel will go forth. His purposes will not be thwarted which is significant because Paul is in prison awaiting a view, a trial by the emperor himself. And the questions, the the comments, the, the rumors that are beginning to circulate are things such as, well, Paul's in prison. What's going to happen to the gospel? People are beginning to ask questions. They're questioning Paul. 
They're saying Paul is always so hard-headed. Why does he get himself into so much trouble? If Paul was wiser, more cautious, then he wouldn't be in this place. Paul had such a strong ministry, and then he went and blew it, all because he got arrested. Paul had such a great life. He was well-respected, a leader. Now he's in prison. What a waste. Paul must be sharing the gospel wrong. Everywhere he goes, people get mad at him. People are questioning Paul. People are questioning God's blessing on Paul. Well, surely, if Paul had God's blessing, he wouldn't be there. Surely God must have removed his blessing from Paul's life because Paul's suffering now. Where's God's blessing in this? People are questioning the effectiveness in the future of the gospel proclamation. Paul was sharing the gospel with so many. Now he's stuck in prison. Who's going to share the gospel and plant churches now? Who's going to take the message forth now? Paul's awaiting trial by the emperor. And if this goes bad, which knowing Paul's hard-headedness, it likely will. If Paul looks at the emperor and says, and you too, emperor, need to bow a knee to the king of the world, Jesus. This whole thing gets shut down. The emperor will silence Christianity. Are you catching the questions, the fears, the wonders, maybe the the ideas, the thoughts of Christianity in this moment? Their leader, their missionary, their apostle to the world has found himself in a place that looks like there's no way out. And they're wondering what even the effectiveness of the gospel is. Will it continue and will it go forth? So it's to these types of questions that Paul writes. It's to these types of questions that Paul writes. And when he writes, he says, and I'm sure that he who is faithful to begin the work of our partnership for the gospel will complete it. My imprisonment will not silence the gospel going forth. And then he gets to our verse here, verse 12. Let's read 12 through 14. Are you there? I'm going to read anyways, even without you. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul, to these types of questions, to these doubts, to these wonderings of, of, is Paul sharing the gospel wrongly? Is that what got him in prison? Is the blessing of God off of him? Is that what got him in prison? Is the gospel finished? Is that what's happening here? Where is this whole thing going? Where is the success in this? Where is the blessing of God in this? Where is God's sovereignty in this? What about all of those that Paul's not getting to share the gospel with outside of here because he's stuck in prison? To all of that, Paul's response is this. Oh, the gospel is going forth in here, brothers. My imprisonment has served for the gospel to go forth. It's not even that. It's simply 
well, since I'm in prison, the gospel's gotten to go forth. But he's like saying, because I'm in prison, the gospel is going forth. My imprisonment has earned the right of the gospel going forth. It has bought the gospel going forth. It is what's causing the gospel to go forth. So he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It may appear that the gospel is locked up in prison with me, but I assure you the gospel is very free and it is marching forward in great triumph. That's his word to them. And if there's anyone who knows about the gospel moving forward in triumph through prison, it should be the church in Philippi. Because it's where it began when Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. And the jailer receives and his whole family receives. Makes you wonder if in the gathering when reading the letter, if the jailer's like, that's true. That's true. That can happen. I know that could happen. Look, my family, hey, who, who wants to testify with me? Can I get a hand? Paul was in prison. I believed. My family believed. The church was started. All of you are here because Paul was in prison here. It can happen there too. Paul goes, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. And in this prison, he's not writing to them going, hey, get me out of here. He's not writing to them going, hey, start a protest. Gather a rally, make some signs, find a lawyer. Get me out of this prison. Convince them I'm here wrongly. He simply goes, guess what? While all of you are out there, everyone here knows Jesus. Feel bad for you guys out there. It's awesome in here. Like God is moving in here. What's happening out there? Because in here, God's doing something. And here, God's doing something. Paul appears to be a man of little regrets in his life. Perhaps it's because he's beaten, imprisoned, and murdered very, the very followers of Jesus before he became one. You can really only go up from there. But I think there's more to it than that. I think Paul has very little regrets because Paul's identity is entwined with the gospel advancement so closely. So that no matter what happens in Paul's life, if the gospel is going forward, Paul's okay. And no matter what happens in Paul's life, it is a means by which the gospel may go forward. So Paul is okay. Very little regrets. Because for Paul, the gospel's advancement is the center of who he is. Gordon Fee words it this way. Paul's personal life is so completely taken up with his gospel calling that to reflect on how his imprisonment has furthered the advance of the gospel is to reflect on his very own life. Let me read that again. Paul's personal life is so completely taken up with his gospel calling that to reflect on how his imprisonment has furthered the advance of the gospel is to reflect on his very own life. In other words, Paul is not being asked the question, how are you doing in prison? And he's avoiding that question and instead going, well, the gospel is being advanced. 
Paul's not avoiding, he's answering the question, how are you? And his answer to how you are is, the gospel's going forward. That's how I am. Because his identity is so entwined with the advancement of the gospel, it is how he is. It shapes his very identity. Paul's view of the status of his life is seen through a gospel-colored lens that cannot be shaken. His view of the status of his life is seen through a gospel-colored lens that cannot be shaken. You could say that he's giddy with the advancement of the gospel, that he's a little bit out of control, carefree, doesn't have a care in the world as long as the gospel is being advanced. This is what will lead Paul in the next passage that we'll look at next week, which is really a continuation of this thought this week. It's what will lead him to go, I'm on trial and I'll likely be executed. It's about time. I'm so ready to see my Jesus. For me to die is going to be a glorious gain. But there's a chance that I could live. And I guess I'm okay with that disappointment as well. Because to live means I get to expend myself for you and for the gospel. His very soul, his purpose in life, his well-being, the status of who he is, is completely and utterly connected to the advance of the gospel. There's no separation for Paul. And so as we look into this text, we see Paul's response to how he is, and his response is the gospel is going forth. Why does he think this? Look at verse 13. So he just said, what has happened has caused me to really, has served, has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. To the whole imperial guard, 9,000 soldiers. So that the gospel has become known to 9,000 and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for the gospel. That the soldiers who are watching him, who are guarding him, who are paying attention to him, who have the goal and the, the means of keeping him there, they're witnessing his words, they're witnessing his prayers, they're witnessing his worship, they're witnessing his love of others. And they're not consumed with Paul's case to get out of prison. They're not testifying that he's falsely or wrongly accused. The word going out from that is not, man, he whines a lot. It's dude, all he talks about in there is Jesus. It's the very reason he's in there, and it's all he keeps talking about. And the soldiers watching him are hearing the gospel and they're telling other people the gospel and the word is spreading to everyone who knows of his imprisonment in all of Rome. They all know it's for the gospel. They're like, well, that doesn't mean they all know the gospel. How else does that go? Paul's in prison because of the gospel. What's that? Isn't that the natural next question? Well, what I heard it is, is this. Word is spreading throughout the whole city. 
the gospel because of his imprisonment and because his life is entwined with the advancement of the gospel. Let me ask you this question. Are there five co-workers who know the gospel because of you? Not 9,000, not a city, five co-workers. Are there five neighbors who know the gospel because of you? Fee says that evangelism is Paul's meat and potatoes. It's what he eats. It's what fuels him. It's what he lives for. Pray would be the same for us. I think it's worthy of a note as well that in Paul's mind, his imprisonment is what has served to advance the gospel to 9,000 and to everyone else. In other words, suffering offers great opportunity for gospel advancement. Because people notice when our faith in Jesus stands strong in our suffering. But not just suffering. Suffering for the sake of persecution. Suffering because of persecution offers great opportunity for gospel advancement. Because people notice when your suffering is a direct result of your faith in Jesus. And yet you remain faithful to Jesus. And Paul's saying, because I'm in prison, because I'm being persecuted, because I'm suffering, the gospel's going forth and everyone's hearing. So how are you guys doing out there? You may have a question, where's the gospel going? I'm telling you, it's going far. You may wonder if this is the end. I'm telling you, it is not the end. You may wonder how my spirit is. I'm telling you, my spirit is well. For all are hearing the gospel. Many of us need to embrace this idea. He goes on. That's just one reason. Just one evidence he gives that the advancements going forth is that everyone's hearing the gospel. His other evidence is this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's your number one evidence the gospel's going forth, Paul? Everyone knows it. Everyone's hearing. Do you have any other evidence? Most of the brothers and sisters, the church in Rome, those who are there, most of the brothers and sisters have become much more bold, confident, fearless in the proclamation of the gospel because of my imprisonment. Does that seem weird to any of you? Wouldn't it make more sense that if persecution hit and people were being thrown in prison and awaiting execution, that it silences boldness? It strikes fear. It mutes evangelism. Yet biblically and historically, what we find is that when persecution hits the church, it emboldens rather than causes timidity. 
D.A. Carson says it this way, a whiff of persecution sometimes puts backbone into otherwise timid Christians. Many of us need to stop celebrating our comfort and our ease. Instead, we need to embrace pain and loss and suffering and persecution for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 15 through 18. Paul says, Now, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Church, you ask me how I am? I am doing quite well. The gospel's going forth to everyone because of my imprisonment. And even the Christians outside of prison are becoming more bold and fearless in their sharing of the gospel. So you think that perhaps the gospel is being silenced because of me in here, but it's actually going forth because of my imprisonment. I'm doing quite well. It is true that some are preaching the gospel out of goodwill. Some are preaching it out of jacked up motives. Using my imprisonment for their gain. Nevertheless, the gospel's going forth and in that I have much joy. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Do you get what he is saying here, church? See this. These people that are preaching this gospel to Paul's shame, to Paul's demise, to Paul's harm, they are actually Christians. They aren't false Christians. They're not pretend Christians. They're Christians. And the gospel they're preaching is not a false gospel. It's the true gospel. Trust me, Paul has made it very clear in all of his letters. He has no trouble calling out false teachers when they're false teachers and a false gospel when there's a false gospel. Paul would not be celebrating the gospel going forth from false teachers when it's a false gospel. That does not bring Paul joy. Christians sharing the true gospel brings his heart joy. These are real Christians sharing a real gospel. But they're sharing it from some very jacked up motives. They're using, it appears, Paul's imprisonment for their own personal gain. Perhaps they were rallying those who once were Paul's supporters to their side. Well, Paul's in prison. He can do nothing now. Why don't you start giving to us to fund our ministry? Well, Paul's in prison. He must have been doing this wrong. Look at what God's doing through us. Come join what we're doing. They're taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment and shaming him through pretense, through false claims. It's all the details we know for their own gain while they share a true gospel. And in this, 
Paul does not say, hey, shut them up. Or someone get a hold of them. Paul says, the gospel is being proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. In this I find joy. Church, the advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's bruised feelings. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's tainted reputation. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's shattered expectations and hopes. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's misunderstood motives. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's lost relationships. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's free freedom or imprisonment. The advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's physical suffering. And the advance of the gospel is bigger than Paul's personal role in making the gospel known. Do you hear that? Church, some of us are more concerned over our bruised feelings, our tainted reputations, and our shattered expectations and hopes than we are the advance of the gospel. Church, some of us are more concerned over our misunderstood motives, our lost relationships, our freedom, and our physical suffering, whether from sickness, loss, poverty, or abuse, than we are the advance of the gospel. Church, some of us are more concerned about our role, our success, and our recognition, and our credit in the advance of the gospel than we actually are the advance of the gospel. Paul's words should convict us today. For Paul, the advance of the gospel is so deeply, deeply entwined with his personal identity that no suffering and no persecution and no loss and no shame and no insignificance matter more than the advance of the gospel. What Paul is literally saying for us today, church, is that whether you imprison me or whether you kill me or whether you shame me and cause me to be completely insignificant does not matter as long as the gospel goes forth. Do you hear that? For the majority of you in this room, it won't cause you imprisonment or death. But it may cause you shame and insignificance and ridicule and lost relationships. And Paul goes, it matters nothing. Doesn't matter. The gospel's being advanced. Roll me over with a truck. Smash me, kill me, squash me, do whatever you can to me. I don't care. Just let the gospel go forth. Use me, abuse me, damage me. Consider me not even a player in the game. I don't care. As long as the gospel goes forth. That's Paul's heart. And so in the face of losing all, Paul says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I find joy. So I ask you today, oh, joyless Christian, would you embrace partnership in the gospel that brings joy and cannot be shattered? Aimless Christian, would you embrace partnership in the gospel that brings identity that cannot be stripped? Oh, shattered Christian, would you embrace partnership in the gospel that brings purpose to your suffering? 
a lazy and apathetic Christian? Would you embrace partnership in the gospel that brings urgency to your words and to your deeds? Oh, fearful Christian, would you embrace partnership in the gospel that puts boldness in your thoughts? And oh, Christless sinner, would you embrace the gospel that says though you have nothing to offer, Christ offered everything so that you might have life. That's Paul's plea with the church. Whatever suffering may come you, it is worth it at the advance of the gospel. But church, that begins by us seeing the gospel as more valuable than ourselves. See, Paul is saying that the gospel, the advance of the gospel, is more valuable than his very life. And you say, well, that doesn't make me feel very loved or valued by God. If I'm expendable for the advance of the gospel, hear me, Christian. You are incredibly valuable and loved by God because he already slaughtered his son for you. That and that alone is all you need of your value. Your value is in the slaughtered son of Christ. Now we give all for the advancement of the gospel, of the message of that slaughtered son. So may our joy not be found in avoiding our suffering or our shame or our insignificance, but in the advancement of the gospel, no matter the cost. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I ask that these words which in some ways are so simple that the significance can be lost and yet at the same time are so complex and far beyond our minds that we would tend to not even grasp them. May these words speak hope and purpose and identity into our very souls so that those of us who are yours would expend all that we are to tell those who are not yet yours of your grace and your love. May the gospel go forth Father, to my neighbors, to my family, to those I'm in contact with. For I know the words that come from this pulpit today are words that are beyond the obedience of the man who has delivered them. So may Emmaus, this church, be a church that, whose heart becomes inflamed with the evangelism of those who do not know Christ. And may it start with the pastors of this church. And may the Northland, may Northeast Italy, 
May our world know the gospel. For it is of most value. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.